Hello, Slate Plus. Good to see you. You're not on vacation. Um, you're busy listening, doing your podcast work of listening. We are going to talk on Slate Plus about a little uh, blip about the Anthony Weiner documentary, which we've talked about before. Mark Leibovich, friend of uh, every one of all ours. of us, had an interview with Anthony Weiner in the Times Magazine. I think not in the interview itself, but in a later piece. Uh, I, I, you know, and I'm not sure on the timing of this, but whatever. yeah, he know he did a follow up piece, follow-up. which is hilarious, in which he said that the, the basically the interview could not be caged in, within the bounds. Of, it cannot um, be caged anyway, in the mongoose funny. bounds of Wiener. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, but one of the questions that came up in the in this follow up interview was about the Wiener documentary, and in particular, a lot of people have talked about how extraordinary the intimate access that that documentary has to Wiener and his wife, whom Abedin, and that there are these moments of the two of them together, which are striking and astonishing and really make the movie what it is. Almost everyone who comes out of that movie comes out, their first reaction has to do with interactions between the two of them, the intimacy of the, the intimate things that we get to see. Not that we're in their bedroom or anything, but that we do get to see them interacting in ways that uh, we were all fascinated by. They filmed in the Wiener Aberdeen home, their child is filmed, conversations where everyone, the whole staff is kicked out of the room and Anthony Weiner and whom Aberdeen are having a conversation and the camera is still there, even though the staff has been kicked out. So now comes a claim that Weiner floated that whom Aberdeen never gave permission for them to use this footage and that possibly she's going to sue. There's not a lot of details. It's not really 100% clear what... Wiener is saying the filmmakers did or didn't do and or claimed they were supposed to do. So there's going to be some speculation here. But and I the to... filmmakers say that they did have her permission and she knew. The filmmakers, do, they do say that, but they say it in a way that's very cagey. Mm-hmm. They say you can tell in the film that she gave consent. But that's not cagey to me. I, I, I come from the radio world, from the public radio world, and, and our, we never ask permission to record. We never get a release. I've never understood that. And We've I've met with lawyers to talk about it, and you know our view is if I'm shoving a microphone in your face and recording you, and you're a basically competent adult, then you have given permission by being recorded. And there's few people on earth who are as sophisticated in media as she is. She's in a room with cameras recording her. Emily, am I wrong? That I feel like case closed. You knew what you were doing. You're you have no right to sue. Well, but yeah, doesn't, I have the same reaction. It's weird. I'm going to I'm, I'm going to find myself on the opposite side of the argument I expected to be on, which is that I think you're you're right under normal circumstances, Adam. I totally concur with that. If if the camera is there and it's obvious, then you've given implicit permission. But what if there is a specific interaction beforehand, which may have been an oral exchange, it may have been a written exchange, where you've said, "I'm going to film you." But we understand that that until you give some permission later, we won't use this. That you, that that the filming is not is not the final word, but that we've agreed that you're going to either get to review the footage or until you've signed a release, we won't use it. This is only this is contingent. This is not explicit permission. This is contingent permission. And, and Emily, I do have that question because yeah. I've I have done that. I do that as rarely as possible. I hate. The use of that as a general rule, that's a big right. Obama administration tool that I found really gross, which is 
basically quote approval. Like all you can interview me and you can use quotes so long as right. you read them back to me and I agree with them and I get a chance to change them if I want, which to me is, is really gross. I, I've done it more when I'm dealing with people who are very press illiterate and, and I feel like they don't actually know much about how the press works. But to me, that's like a courtesy I'm offering mm -hmm. and I'm using my word, but it's not a legally binding contract. Am I, Am I wrong, Emily? If you wrote it down, I mean, right, if you had an exchange over email and you promise and that, you know, the, the, that can be a binding promise. And uh, one thing that is noticeable about this um, kerfluffle is the filmmakers have not produced a written release. So one must not exist. I mean, that doesn't mean that they didn't have her consent, but that would be like the easiest way of just taking care of this. What I find super complicated about this is that it seems obvious that the decision to go ahead with this documentary was primarily Anthony Weiner's decision, that he is, first of all, someone who just adores attention, and second of all, that he was hoping he was going to win this race for mayor and this documentary was going to be about his triumphant comeback. And the fact that it all crumbled was not his plan. Now, he could have told the documentary makers to leave when it was obvious that the whole thing was coming down around his head, mostly because he actually hadn't stopped doing like whatever sexting or whatever we want to call it he was doing online. And instead, he let it continue. And he kind of said to Mark, well, you know, this one of these documentary makers was my friend. But I still think it's really hard to imagine that the kind of filming that was going on here, which seemed like it was so present and so intimate, was going to be off limits unless Huma had a written agreement that it was going to be kept off limits. So in other words, whenever you have kind of oral discussions about these kinds of matters, you're you're making it blurry. You're turning it into a kind of he said, she said scenario. And I think that would be pretty hard for a judge to come in and say like, oh, yeah, there was a binding promise here. It's possible that, you know, the filmmakers really did betray her trust. But it just given this whole dynamic and what we learn about their marriage and the course of this footage, which perhaps she never intended us to see, it just seems like it's really hard to imagine this is just about the filmmakers blowing it in some way because there are moments in the movie when it feels like she is being really pressured by her husband and for me it was hard to understand why she was going along with it and why she hadn't left this guy but that's obviously like not my I mean that's that's her marriage that's the part of life that's very hard to enter into someone else's world there's a triangle nature of this that makes it hard for me to come down really strongly on one side or the other the other thing that puzzles me is she is so sympathetic in this. I mean, it, it it's like a love letter to her. I would say this movie, the fundamental story of this movie is a decent woman caught in an untenable bind who doesn't, who's trapped and doesn't know what to do. And she never says anything to our frustration. Mm -hmm. Like the fundamental mystery of why is she with him? Why does she go along with this is unanswered. But the agony on her face, the incredibly human moments she has as she's trying to figure out a place to be in this is to me, like I, before I saw the movie, I was kind of sympathetic to the idea. Oh, they're just some horrible manipulative couple and, and she's in on it. And this made me like her so much and feel for her. I don't know why she would even want to sue. Um, although I will say the one thing is that kid, like nobody's, th I'm, I don't know. <laughs> we don't right. see it, but why, Brit yeah. why, why, like why, why, 
why have these documentary filmmakers around your kid? Why extend this narrative even more around your kid? That did bother me. But as a Huma issue, I don't see what the damages are. Totally agree. It's it's great for her. She hasn't seen it. Neither of them has seen it, (laughs) according to their claim. no way Anthony Weiner hasn't seen it. (laughs) Yeah, I don't believe that. But I believe she hasn't watched it because I think it would just feel like you were burying your soul. And I think... I mean, look, I'm not in Huma Abedin's head, obviously, but I think, Adam, the answer to your question is that even if she's comes off as sympathetic, um, which I totally agree with you about, it's incredibly intimate. It's like having your marriage on display and your your emotions at these incredibly painful junctures. I would not want that on camera. I mean, I wouldn't have let the cameras roll, I hope. I can completely understand her feeling mortified about having it out there. I just I think the chances that they sue, even if they determine they have a reasonable legal case, even if there is like lots of documentary evidence of them, of the filmmakers promising to a release and vowing they would never, you know, show a, an, an inch of film without that release. I think the chances that they will sue is low because it, it is a what do you gain? <laughs> what, yeah, more people will what see exactly the movie. You if you win. See it. It'll be great for the movie. More people will <laughs> yeah. see it. There'll be some set of discovery that will be embarrassing. Yeah, you'll win and you'll you'll win a few hundred thousand dollars off of it and big, big whoop. Uh, it's not. Right. And the other thing about Huma Abedin is that she's still Hillary Clinton's aide, right? I mean, she still has this important political position she's occupying. And anything she does that distracts from the Clinton campaign right now is, I would imagine, not helpful to her professionally. Yeah, there's no way the Clinton right. campaign is happy that Weiner said this to Mark in the New York Times and just made this a thing that people right. are It's also about. weird that this came out in this offhand way. Well, I, I'm yeah. sure they I'm sure they won't. See I it. wonder if she'll leave him once if Clinton is elected, if that will be the moment when Huma Abedin quietly walks away from this guy who just seems so problematic as a husband. I mean, he just seems yeah, but, sad and well, pathetic. But, but, but she married him. Yeah, she married. He, 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 it's not like his yeah, problem. But she married him doesn't mean that she's stuck with him forever. You can get rid of people you marry when they turn out to betray you and well, just be jerks. It suggests a kind of obtuseness, an emotional obtuseness in, on her part, because I think any 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 person who had seen Anthony Weiner at work, you know, surely recognized that, you know, this, the, the narcissism and the, the, the kind of lack of self-control as character traits it didn't it didn't let me put it this way it didn't take a sexting scandal <laughs> for me to understand that he was a narcissist who had no self-control that was pretty evident before yeah now, i'm with you but the veil can fall from your eyes right you can just change your mind well maybe i i, I suspect she's you know she's made a decision she's in it for the long haul i don't know maybe not we'll find out okay slate plus see you later